The Hook em Up with E and Rod B Playoff Recap Show on the Horn is presented by Hayes City Store and the Taste on Main. Okay, we're all in take five. Oh man, what a day of football the first day of 2024 was with a pair of uh, classic college football playoff semifinal games. Unfortunately for the Longhorns, uh, they came up short. Uh, we thought we had two really even matchups, and in the end, Rod Babers, the two undefeated teams, Washington and Michigan, stayed undefeated, found ways uh, in overtime for Michigan. Uh, you know, Defensive stops on the final three plays of the game for Washington to preserve the victory, and a six-point win with the Longhorns you know, threatening the end zone and a chance to win it. Uh, so we'll have a pair of 14-0 and conference champions playing for the national championship next Monday in Houston. And uh, we'll have a chance to preview that matchup. But this morning, we are recapping what was a uh, frustrating four quarters of football last night for the Longhorns. But as you said, Rod, and then heard from Jalen Ford on the way to the timeout, uh, this, this never-say-die culture, this uh, play-to-the-end play culture that Texas has played with this year showed up despite the mistakes and the penalties and the turnovers and the kind of – it just felt like they were swimming upstream the whole game. Yeah. You know, they were there with a chance to, to win the football game. Washington made enough plays defensively, and they get the victory. But I really thought when the Longhorns got the ball back with 50 seconds to go after Kalen DeBoer and Washington really mismanaged the, the – I mean, they, they should have punted that ball with about you know 19 seconds on the clock, and the Longhorns would have had no timeouts. Instead, they had 50 seconds, the big play to Jordan Whittington for 41 yards, and then a big play to Jaden Blue, got it down inside the 15-yard line. I really thought Texas was going to win the game right there. I thought they were going to punch that ball in the end zone, and we were going to have one of the great comebacks and classic uh, finishes we've seen. In the end, obviously, much like the rest of the night, it was a frustrating end to a frustrating night for the Longhorns. Uh, no, that's crazy because Patrick and I were kind of talking about that too because um, that's why I had to rewatch the game because I missed some of the fourth quarter. I'm not going to lie. I kind of missed it because I saw Texas get down uh, double digits like, and they were down with 13 points. And I was like, all right, you know, it's, it's don't look good. It just don't look good. Yeah, the Jane Blue fumble. Yeah, so I started like, you know, kind of going around. I started doing some stuff as I was watching the game, getting ready to do the post game. So I ate and did some other stuff because I hadn't eaten all day. And then, uh, yeah, I kind of look up and I'm like, Hold up. How the hell did Texas get back in this game? <laughs> it was about four or five minutes left, and I realized Texas got a shot. And then then I'm frustrated and I'm angry because <laughs> Texas not only had a shot, then I want them to actually win because then I'm upset that they didn't win the game yeah. because they had such a good chance to do it because they couldn't execute in the red zone, even though I'll admit I had you know stopped, stopped paying, t- paying attention and got distracted. Because I thought it was already over for the long run. Yeah, I mean, and we can put it, it's, it was that, you know, we, we talked about it, and I was talking to some other friends of mine, and, you know, me and Rod were talking about it, and Aaron, we were talking about it on the pregame. Like, man, we've covered this for a month. We have gone through every angle and looked at it, and when you look at what Washington was doing to Texas mm. and controlling the offensive line and being able to get the pass rush and, and everything, and Michael Penix Jr. playing like how he played, just watching it, once they got a double digit lead, it felt like okay. Well, they this is what they do. You you fell into what they do best, and for Texas to be able to fight back, it was it was you know somewhat hard as a Texas fan to kind of make peace. Say it was a great season. 
overachieved Big 12 champions. Everything, we're happy with it. You know what? Good shot, guys, too. Oh, just throw the ball quicker. We win. We're playing next week. So it was. There was a bit of it where at the end it was bittersweet because it, the fight. But it is. It, it's what we talked about all season long about this team. The difference between last year and this year is that the fight in this team and the leaders on the sideline. And when they get down, they don't stay down. And we saw that so much in the last two years, and and even year, you know other other eras and other coaches that this team would get down and stay down, and, and they stayed ready. They stayed ready in a position where they were going to get the ball back with 15 seconds on their own 10, and they end up getting the ball on the 30 with 50 seconds left, and they're ready to go make plays. And Jay Witt makes a huge play, and Jane Blue makes a big play. And it, it, so to see that, it, it's it's bittersweet because you were so close. But at the end of the day, you know, would you rather that you had 15 and you didn't get it and you threw a Hail Mary, we could say, ah, we didn't have a shot. Or would you say, man, you know what? It, it's not it's not perfect, but, man, what what a what a seed to build on for this Texas team. That's a great point. Yeah, that is. It is that's a funny uh, question, the double-edged sword, would you rather. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, they had their chance. And that, that to me, it kind of summed up the night because, <coughs> excuse me, as we talked about, Mike, I mean, Longhorns had chances to sack Michael Penix, and it was dead to rights, and mm-hmm. he, he would evade it and not just complete a pass. He'd complete a big pass down the field or a touchdown. Um, and, and then when you felt like you could run the football and, you know, get back in the game and, or maybe take control of the game in the third quarter, you know, you're, you're, both your running backs put the ball on the ground and, uh, you know, the turnovers. But you're right, Rod. I think a lot of Texas fans kind of, you know, turned off the, the, you know, the intensity in the fourth quarter when not just when they went up 13, uh, but Texas went down and scored to make it a six-point game at at, uh, at 34-28. Mm-hmm. If your defense was seven minutes to go, could have gotten you, you know, off the field there in the middle of the, of the fourth quarter. Um, you know, who knows? And uh, that's where I give Michael Penix a lot of credit because having talked to folks who were in the building in the in the Sugar Bowl last night in the in the uh, Superdome. That was the loudest the stadium got after after Texas had gotten it to 34-28. The touchdown to Ad Mitchell. It's only a six-point game. And that's when Michael Penix just cool and calm uh, and engineered a, a really good drive that ended up in a field goal. It, it got it back to nine, and it made it a two-score game again. That was really, really good stuff. As good as Michael Penix was to, to stare down the, the, that crowd, and that uh, it was 80-20 it was Texas fans last night in the Superdome. And he was able to engineer that drive, get it back to nine, and then to your point, Rod, I think a lot of Longhorn fans, okay, well, now it's you know, two, two scores again. And in the end, you know, the Longhorns go down and get a field goal, they don't get the onside kick. At that point, it's going to be long odds. But Washington did them a huge favor, uh, which I still don't understand Kalen DeBoer not taking a knee and just taking right. knees, letting the clock run. Instead, he was running the ball. Crazy. And, and he may have lost his starting running back for the Michigan game, Rod. I think <laughs> and, you're right. And, yeah, and, it's possible. Because yeah. he got twisted up, and he'd been kind of limping a little bit on the night, and he goes out hurt. And, you know, th- th- that stops the clock. Then uh, Washington has an offsides on the punt, which didn't allow the clock to run again. And so they punt the ball. Then they have a kick, you know, catch interference call that gives the Longhorns 15 free yards. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, it was kind of adding up like after the game they played that it was Washington that was going to collapse here late in the game. But in the end, they made the plays. And that's why I say that that incomplete pass to A.D. Mitchell on the fourth down from the 11-yard line was just kind of symbol- symbolic of the whole night. Just 
It's right there, and, and, but gosh, it's a mirage. It's frustrating. The Longhorns couldn't find a way. But uh, Washington are the champs. Can we hear the, uh, the postgame news conference? Good chunk of it here on Hook Em Up with Ian Rod B. I'm in New Orleans. Patrick and Rod are back at the Horn headquarters. Here's uh, the way it sounded last night after the game. It's Steve Sarkeesian. It's Quinn Ewers and Jalen Ford, the assembled media, asking questions of the coach, the quarterback, and the, uh, the captain on defense. Okay. Um, I think, first of all, uh, you know, I'll go backwards, but the resiliency our team showed uh, in that fourth quarter uh, to find a way to have an opportunity to win the game, I think is indicative of the character that we have on this team and the men that we have in that locker room. Uh, those guys are fighters. They fought together. Uh, as, as bleak as it looked there, they never gave, you know, gave up hope and, and they believed. And I think that's how you give yourself a chance in the end. Um, I feel for them because of I know how much they poured into this uh, entire season. Uh, but like I told them in the locker room, you know, we came into this season to be champions, and they are. They're Big 12 champions, and they should be very proud of that. Uh, they, were, they were a second away from, from playing for a national championship. And so there's a lot to be proud of on this football team. Uh, unfortunately, in the game, you know, we, we dug ourselves a hole uh, with some self-inflicted wounds. Um, and, and give credit to Washington. They played a very good game. Uh, you know, the Penix got hot. They made some plays, some big plays down the field. Um, and, and when they extended the lead, you know, we, we got a little bit out of game plan to try to fight our way back into it. Uh, but we found a way to get a couple stops and, and force some field goals uh, that gave us a chance to get back into the game. Uh, but in the end, uh, came up short. And, but, but there's nothing to hang our heads about. You know, these guys fought. And I'm very, very proud of the effort that they put into it. We'll open it up for questions. Please raise your hand, and we'll get a microphone to you. We'll start in the front row on the left side. Joe Cook with Inside Texas. Steve, can you go through those last four uh, play calls inside the 12 and starting with the, the swing pass to Jay? Did yeah, he was more of a check down on the play. Uh, we were looking for an opportunity for, for JT or Jay Witt, trying to create a one-on-one -on -one matchup for those guys to go high point it. Um, you know, naturally, they, they, they did a good job defending it, and Quinn did a good job of just getting the ball out to, to, um, to Blue um, with a chance in space, but it had to get out of bounds. It's a, it's a tricky situation in that you're out of timeouts, and so we have to be very careful that we don't complete a ball short of the goal line or pretty much the game's going to end at that point. So when you're forced to throw it into the end zone each time, it makes it difficult, especially when they're defending the end zone. Uh, so we were just trying to create some matchups um, with some different route combinations to, to create some one-on-ones and to give, uh, give our playmakers a chance to make a play. And um, we just weren't quite able to do it, you know. So that, that's the way it goes sometimes. We'll stay in the front row. Um, Quinn, can you kind of take us to those final three plays and just kind of the, I guess, the pressure Washington got in those last two? Yeah, like Coach Rex was saying, we were just trying to take a shot at the end zone. Um, obviously, because if you fall short, like you said, the game's going to be over. So, um, you know, I just was looking to give my guys an opportunity to go make a play at the end of the day. Um, you know, that's all you can really do. Front row. Eric Henry Horns, 24-7. His questions for Steve. Steve, I was wondering if you could just talk about the challenge to get pressure on Michael Penix and just kind of the, the challenge that that placed on your secondary to defend against guys for a long time. Yeah, no, I, I think, you know, we, 
There were times we did create some pressure. We, we just couldn't get him on the ground. Um, and that was probably the most frustrating part. You know, he was, he was elusive in the pocket, uh, and, he, and he did a good job of, of avoiding the rush and then keeping his eyes. Uh, and then I thought they did a good job of, of taking advantage of some one-on-one matchups um, when they got him. And it just kind of felt like every time they, they threw it, and we were in pretty good coverage. They made the play, you know, and, and that, that's a credit to them. You know, they're, they're, they're a good offense and a good passing offense especially. Uh, it showed. Um, we just couldn't get them on the ground. We couldn't generate enough pressure. Um, you know, uh, I, I thought our guys were fighting with the pass rush. You know, we, we, couldn't, we couldn't put enough pressure on the, on the tackles, quite frankly, to get a holding call to even get them off schedule. You know, they really played on schedule all night, and that makes it difficult. The times we did get him into some third and longs, we had the ability to get off the field, um, but we just couldn't get him on the ground. You know, I thought there were some decent pressures in there. Uh, we just didn't get him on the ground. We'll go to the right side, second row. Uh, Steve, I don't know if you feel like the 30 days off maybe affected y'all's offensive rhythm more. It just didn't seem like y'all were quite in sync like you were yeah, all we, year. Yeah, to your point, you know, I, I think – for whatever reason, we had some uncharacteristic kind of anxiousness at the line of scrimmage, you know, where we had, we had different people kind of with false start penalties, you know. And um, those things are difficult because sometimes, you know, we're trying to play, let's get to second and five, and now we can operate. And then you get a false start, and it goes back at second and ten. Um, or you, you do something on, on first and 10, it's incomplete, that's okay. Then you fall start, it's second and 15. So those were some things that were a little disappointing. Um, and I don't know if that's because of the layoff, layoff or just you know sometimes being in, in the environment and you're a little excited to go play. Um, but, but I thought we rebounded from those things. And, and you know, we ran the ball really well early in the game. Uh, but like I said, when you, when you fall behind, uh, it, it kind of stressed us where we had to kind of not not lean on the run like we wanted to and uh, I thought that really changed as much of the game as anything to where you know we, we really couldn't lean into the run and, and then you know complement it with the passing game we had to really start throwing it and then mix runs when we could we'll stay on the right side front row Jalen what did you say to your guys after the game after the game uh, I just told him I was proud of him uh, Kind of like what Coach is saying, like, you know, uh, this whole year we sacrificed a lot and um, in order to build this team into the way we wanted it. And, you know, I, I think, like he said, at the end of that, like, uh, we, we went all the way up, uh, up into the last play. And, you know, I'm just proud of my guys for never giving up. Uh, not once did I ever believe that, you know, until that clock hit zero that we didn't have a chance. So, All right, we'll go to the left side, second row. Uh, Terry Middleton, Horns Illustrated, Coach Sarkeesian. You talked about the resilience of the team, the fight until the last second. Is this something that you guys practice, or is this just the culture or the character of the team? Uh, it's a belief, you know. Um, you know, we push our guys hard. Uh, like, like I told them in the locker room, this has been a 12-month journey. You know, we, we started winter conditioning last January, and, and those workouts aren't always fun, all right? But we're building character in those workouts. Um, it's cold. We go in the morning. Um, we practice really hard. Our practices are demanding. Uh, our summer workouts, when we run in DKR in the afternoon and it's 120 degrees, that's for a reason. It's to, it's to build character and it's to develop the mental toughness and the resiliency 
and then we get to training camp and we practice hard and and there's a belief in our style and what we do and and I think it showed this season you know there there was a lot of games that came down to the wire for us this year we found a way to win and we put ourselves in position again tonight to 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 have a chance to win the game it just didn't happen uh, but I think that that just speaks to the the mental toughness that these guys have the resiliency um, and also the, the, the connection that they have for one another that, you know, just like Jalen said, these guys never lost faith. You know, they believed that, that we were going to win that game and it was just how <laughs> that was the biggest thing is, well, how are we going to do it? And we, we know we're going to, it's just how, um, and unfortunately we, we, we came up short tonight, but that's, you know, that's the life of sport. You know, when you get into sport, um, all you can do is, is put forth maximum effort, um, in your preparation get yourself in the right frame of mind, and then play as hard as you can. And in the end, somebody's going to win and somebody's going to lose. And either way, that should build character, and that should, that should help these guys in whatever they end up going and doing in life, that how to go about your business on a daily basis and put yourself in position to be successful, you got a chance in this life. And uh, hopefully they, they, they can walk out of this season knowing that. We'll stand on the left side in the front row. Uh, Coach uh, Alma Richardson, OrangeBuzz.com. Coach, uh, obviously you've been building uh, over the last couple of years to get to this point. How do you then, going forward, maintain this level of success and then kind of, kind of building forward to, kind of, to get to the ultimate goal where you want to be? Well, I, I think that we have to make sure that um, this doesn't just happen, right? It took 12 months of hard work, um, you know, we have to we have to make sure that that complacency doesn't set in we got to be mindful of that and then we go right back to the foundation of building the team like i said in in those things that i discussed whether it was winter conditioning spring ball summer workouts training camp culture wednesdays all the things that we do um make sure that we still handle our business in the classroom make sure that we we still handle our business uh in 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 our community um because I think that that ultimately, you know, you have to rebuild the character each year of your team. And um, we have to be mindful that it doesn't just happen. You have to, it takes hard work. And um, I think that, that there's a lot of lessons to be learned that the value of that hard work that we put in is the reason that we're in this position. So we're going to have to get right back to it again. We'll go to the right side, second row. Uh, Kirk Bowles from the Austin American Statesman. Uh, Quinn, it looked like you hurt, hit your head on the turf in the first half. I don't know if you were treated for a concussion or examined for a concussion. And the second part is, why did you feel like it was so hard to get Xavier and uh, A.D. Mitchell involved in the offense more? Yeah, I mean, I hit the back of my head a little bit, got examined, um, but was cleared, obviously. Um, I mean... You just go out there and try to execute plays and, and, and put the ball where you think it's going to go. Um, and it's hard to say why I didn't do certain things. Um, and, you know, I don't, I don't like to play the what-if game at all. But um, we just go out there and try to execute each play to the best of our abilities. And, um, yeah. Okay, we'll go to the back of the right side. Uh, Coach Justin Gooseman, uh, Texas Student Television. In the second half, it looked like, a lot of the 
receptions were more in the flat, whereas in the first half, a lot of the plays that Washington had offensively were more down the field. Uh, was that more of a scheme adjustment? Was that just something that they were doing offensively that was putting you guys in some difficult situations? Can you just explain the difference in their first half attack versus the second half attack? It's probably a better question for Coach DeBoer, quite frankly. Um, you know, all, we, we try to, you know, obviously, you know, try to protect ourselves a little bit more against the deep ball. Uh, and maybe that's the reason the ball was going out to the flat. But I, I don't know if that was their intent or not. That, 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 like I said, that's probably a better question for him. I'll go to the left side, second row. Uh, yeah, Quinn, uh, Ted Lewis, Matthias, speak you in New Orleans. Uh, I'm not sure if you're aware or not, but uh, a year from now, the uh, winner of the SEC will be here playing host in the quarterfinals. Can you envision Texas being in this position, or does it hurt too much right now to think that far ahead? I mean, I guess I'm a human being, and I understand um, what's ahead. But at the same time, there's, there's, a, there's a long ways in between here and a year from now. Um, you know, a lot can happen in 365 days. So, um, but I know that we're going to work as hard as we can to um, try to be back. And that's, that's all we can really do is attack – attack the offseason um, the right way um, and just continue to build this team to what it's, what it's capable of being. All right, left side along the aisle. Uh, Andrea Adelson, ESPN.com. Quinn, we can just see the emotion on your face. I don't want to guess how you're feeling, so I was just hoping you could take us through your emotions now as you're sitting here you know, thinking about how this game ended. Yeah, you know, it's tough, especially losing a close game like this. Um, but, you know, when you take a step back and you look back at the entire season, um, I'm proud of the way that um, we attacked each week. And for us to have the opportunity to, to even play here, it's just we're the whole, I know the whole team is beyond grateful for this opportunity that we had today. And um, I, 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 I think we all played our hearts out. And um, I don't question anybody's effort in that, in, that, in that room, in that locker room at all. But I couldn't be more proud of the way that we attacked this year because I know <clears throat> most of y'all didn't believe that we would be here right now. So, um, and we're going to continue to just focus on the opinions inside our four walls and um, continue to build. Go to the right side. Uh, Jeff Howhorns, 24-7 Quinn. When you guys got down 13, just kind of walk through uh, your mindset, what you were saying to guys to, to kind of make that comeback, and then uh, for Sark, just evaluate Quinn's performance tonight. Um, I mean, going down 13, um, you know, I think the biggest thing that we were talking about was just one play at a time. You can't, you can't get all 13 points back in one single play. So, um, you know, the small wins turn into big wins. So just trying to, trying to get back on track. And um, I think we did a good job of that. Yeah, I thought Quinn had a really gutsy performance tonight. Um, <clears throat> thought he utilized his legs extremely well. Um, you yeah, they know, were, they were really trying to, deploy and match routes and cover people um, and and when that happened he he found some running lanes to to use his legs to extend plays thought he made some big time throws at critical moments um, especially late in the ball game um, give us a chance to win you know down 13 in the fourth quarter with not a lot of time left and you know we had the ball in the 12 with the whatever it was uh, with a chance to win the ball game and that that doesn't happen Unless, unless he's playing his heart out and, and making some really big-time throws for us. 
All right, guys, initial thoughts from Sark and the guys uh, there in New Orleans after the game. Well, a lot of grit, but again, you heard Sark say the word frustrating a few times. That was my adjective to, to describe this game, just frustrating. The way it ended, uh, the way it started, the way the third quarter went, I mean, just and to be that close, um, you know, really you know, adds to the level of frustration. But in the end, the team that played better, the coaching staff that coached better, the quarterback that played better uh, won the football game. But uh, still not easy to swallow than when you're that close to, to maybe winning this game and, and playing again next Monday. Uh, yeah, I think that uh, this team understands, um, especially when they go back and watch the film. I don't know how many of them will. Some of these guys are moving on, so they'll never go back and watch the film. <laughs> uh, if you're, you know, if you're Jalen Ford moving on to Vondre Sweat, I don't know if you ever go back and watch this film. The guys that do, uh, and, and they will as a team, I'm sure at one point try to watch it. Uh, if, if you watch it and go back and you're not frustrated and think to yourself, we let it, we let a golden opportunity, um, we let a golden opportunity kind of slip through our fingers then, you know, I, I think for those guys, that will probably be the time where it hurts even more so than initially. Because you go back and rewatch it, you realize you lost this game in a lot of ways, too. Um, you were your own worst enemy. Um, Washington played a great game, and they have a great coach, they have a great game plan, um, but you did them a lot of favors with the penalties. Yeah. You did them a lot of favors with, uh, Sark talked about uh, you know, how anxious they were, the anxiety they kind of played with early on. You felt that with the penalties. Yeah. You felt they, they they played tight early on. Yeah, Ewers was not on early on. There was yeah. the, the passes were just not really where they need to be to tip balls. Yeah, Everybody did seem like you were trying to be yeah. loose up until the moment, and then the moment came and – the enormity of it kind of came after them. Yep. And where Washington, you know, I think had been a little bit closer to this, and they, they just felt like they were ready for this game a little bit more than Texas was. Yeah, I agree. They locked in. And, I, again, credit to Washington because those tip balls in the first couple drives were critical. The, a couple of those could have been easy completions and could have got the rhythm going, didn't happen. But that was by design, right? They knew what they were doing, getting their hands up on those RPOs, those quick passes. Uh, and then, you know, the Longhorns self-inflicted stuff was frustrating for sure. Uh, and I also think, guys, Michael Penix hitting the 77-yarder to uh, Jalen Polker early was big because we talked about it for a month. And on the first deep ball – goes for 77 yards. I mean, that, that, that'll stagger you a little bit, too. The, man, we worked mm-hmm. on this. We had the plan for this. And um, this guy, you know, is already bombs away. Uh, he also missed a tackle on that at the back end. But oh, either yeah. way, all, all, those th- all those things lead to, you know, the anxiety that we're talking about. That, oh, my gosh, you know, here's, here's – and, and, look, Michael Penix played a great game. Let's, let's not shy away. I mean, uh, when, you, when, you, when you tip your cap to a player who's really good, best quarterback in the country – uh, or one of the top quarterbacks in the country plays that good, uh, and going to be hard to beat, especially when you make that many mistakes and put the ball on the ground twice in the second half. All right, we come back. When we do, Rod will take us again behind the burnt orange curtain. We're talking all things Texas. Season comes to a frustrating end, but a great season for the Longhorns. Future bright, but uh, disappointing for sure on this Tuesday morning. On Hook'em Up with Ian Rodby. Come up with E and Rod B playoff recap show on the horn is presented by Hayes City Store and the Taste on Main. At the t- 
Return is presented by Callahan's General Store, helping to keep your yard in golf course condition year-round for 45 years. It's always a good day to make it a Callahan's Day. Callahan's General Store, always a great day to make it a Callahan's Day, bringing you at the turn. We're halfway through our Tuesday conversation, talking all things Texas and Washington in the end, a bitter end of the Longhorn season. Uh, 12 and 2, 14 and 0. Washington with a 21 game win streak will advance to play the uh, Al- the Michigan Wolverines, who beat Alabama yesterday in another thriller in overtime. Real quick, Rod, uh, quick update because it's the new year now, and we talked a lot in the month of December leading up to December 31st about the uh, the deadline for the PGA Tour and the Saudi Arabia Public Investment Fund to come to an agreement on a new merger. Uh, that didn't happen, but I will say that uh, there is good news on this Tuesday morning that the goal line has been moved. Uh, that the PJ Tour and the Saudi Arabia Public Investment Fund have announced that their efforts are being made to extend the negotiation deadline between the parties. Uh, so they're still talking. This isn't over. Uh, they're going to move the deadline. Uh, no, 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 no new date has been given, but uh, the conversations are ongoing. So we'll keep you posted on that here as the, the golf season really cranks up here in the month of January with the, uh, the events in Hawaii. Uh, and then they'll do the California swing. Uh, we'll certainly cover them here at the turn halfway through our show each day. But uh, the goal line has moved, Rod. So uh, yeah, no, I'm not I, done. I, I, I mean, you, they always say, right, uh, deadlines make deals. So I guess they want to move the deadline so they can make a deal. Yeah, I think they still <laughs> want to make a deal. But uh, who knows? We're not in those meetings and uh, no deal. Uh, but it, it's not over. Uh, mm-hmm. There's still ongoing negotiations into 2024 now. And uh, we will certainly keep you posted, and we'll look forward to uh, more golf. We also will tell you about a, our new golf course of the month here coming up in the month of January. We've got to get that to you as well. We're excited about it after having Gray Rock uh, for the month of December. Here in the month of January, we'll crank up a brand-new course, teach you their history, and it's a course that uh, has a lot of history in Central Texas, celebrating half a century. We'll tell you about that coming up throughout the month of January here at At The Turn and with our friends at Callahan's General Store. Remember, get on over there. there did you? Hey, I don't know if you saw this, Rod, that there is a uh, – and you can look this up. There's reportings of a, of a polar equinox or polar, you know, situation coming at the end of January. Oh, yeah. Some of the long-term forecasts are saying it could be a really, really extended and hard freeze, not just in Texas, but across the country and North America. So keep an eye on that. Point of that is, who knows if it comes or not, it's a month away uh, or several weeks away. But before the next freeze, you know it's going to be some hard freezes coming here Mm -hmm. January into February. Get over to Callahan's General Store. In addition to helping you winterize and get your yard ready for spring and uh, keep that yard golf course ready, Callahan's can also get you the, the uh, everything you need, the essentials for the first hard freeze that's coming. And don't wait until the, the mad rush happens when it's actually coming. Get ahead of it. Talk to the great people there. they get everything you need to cover those pipes and cover your plants and take care of the three Ps when those freezes come that are inevitable now that we're here into the month of January. And that's At The Turn, brought to you by Callahan's General Store. Always a good day to make it a Callahan's Day. At the Turn is presented by Callahan's General Store, helping to keep your yard in golf course condition year-round for 45 years. It's always a good day to make it a Callahan's Day. And they were all asking themselves the same question. What is behind that curtain? All right, obviously uh, we're still discussing the... uh, the fallout, if you will, the uh, the postmortem, the uh, the autopsy of Texas loss to the Washington Huskies. A lot of different things uh, that I think we can break down, um, and I think there are a lot of uh, different variables that led to Texas losing the matchup. One thing that you know I pointed out 
uh, earlier this week, and I've been talking a lot about it, has been, um, you know, what I saw and what I recognized in the, in the Alamo Bowl last season with Texas and Washington. And something Sark did that I thought was pretty interesting, and, you know, for the most part I thought it was a vanilla game plan, and I thought it was kind of a lazy cocky, arrogant game plan. Sark just thought he could go in and, you know, push Washington around. Uh, that was not the case because uh, they didn't have the running game to do so. This year they had actually some of uh, the running game, but uh, Texas got behind. And as Sark mentioned, they really had to uh, abandon the running game for the most part uh, because they were playing catch-up. But one thing they did really well in this matchup, and you probably noticed it, sporadically throughout the game that they also did in last uh, in the last game versus Washington. And I brought it up. It was the, probably the most successful concept Texas had in the game versus Washington in the Alamo Bowl. Um, it was they ran a lot of empty formation. It was the most empty formation they had run all season long. That's when you have no running backs in the backfield, just a quarterback. Um, and Quinn Ewers looked really comfortable in that Alamo Bowl running empty formation. Now, a lot of the time, I think it was out of necessity. Necessity is the mother of invention. Your running game wasn't working. You were averaging less than three yards per carry. Uh, post Bijan and Rojo, um, and X-Man had the hurt hand. I think Sark just put all of it on Quinn and decided, hey, Quinn, I need you to go to win us the game. It was also one of the first games where Quinn decided to run a little bit. He had a 12-yard run out of empty formation. So Texas uh, was completing, or at least Quinn was completing, 87% of his passes out of empty formation last season in that Alamo Bowl. Um, you know, you had a uh, first down rate of, of over 25%. Um, so they got, got first downs. You were moving the football out of empty. And I wondered if Texas, if Sark, would bring it back. Would he play the hits? We know he doesn't like to play the hits. He's against it um, because it was something that was really successful. It hasn't been a staple in Sark's offense. I have pleaded um, on these airways and other airways that Texas should use more empty formation. It does work well with, or at least I, I think, hypothetically, it should work well uh, it's, it, it, with Quinn's skill set. But it actually, unfortunately, I think for Sark, he gets upset with Quinn because Quinn's inability to work through progressions quickly Um it ends up hurting him in empty formation because Quinn, he gets sacked in empty, and you're not supposed to get sacked. In, I think he's had five sacks in empty formation this year. Just so you know, sack rates, NFL, college, and even here in Texas, they usually drop out of empty formation. That's why Quinn's coming back to school. That's why he's coming back, I think, to uh, evolve his game and develop that part of his game so he can get through progressions quicker. And so that when he gets to his second and third progressions, he is still consistent in his mechanics, still consistent in his footwork, and that's not the case. Usually by the time he gets to his second and third progressions, Quinn's footwork is a little erratic. He's probably moving around in the pocket way too much. The mechanics get a little bit lazy, um, and that's what happens when he goes deeper into the progressions. When he's on his first read, priority read, that's when he's great. And empty keeps you on that because empty is easy to identify the matchup advantages across the board because there will be plenty. Uh, because most teams don't have the personnel to match up with your guys across the board, and teams are only going to play man against it. Most they're going to play man to one side or zone the other, or they they'll zone the entire thing, or they'll go zero coverage. They, there are only two or three ways you're going to play empty formation, and everybody knows the ball's coming out quickly, especially if they decide to blitz or they outnumber you on the offensive line. Most of the time they won't do that, but they may decide to blitz to, to force the ball to come out quickly. My point is. It should work with Quinn, but it doesn't. I think that frustrates Sark. And that's also one of the reasons, sidebar, that uh, Texas, I think one of the reasons why their red zone offense struggles. 
because red zone also speeds up the internal clock and it speeds up the progression of the quarterback. Why? Because your windows are smaller. So as you get through that progression, you don't have as much space, all right, for route development as you do when you're in, you're going in between the twenties. Everything is constricted down there in the red zone, which means everything happens quicker. Forcing Quinn Ewers to get through reads quicker, I just told you that's a challenge for him because it seems like the mechanics, everything suffers. He becomes more erratic. So anyway, my point is it should work, but it doesn't. But it worked in the Washington game again. And I said maybe it's Washington's scheme specifically that allows you to exploit them out of empty formation. And even though Quinn has been inconsistent out of empty, even though he took a sack, the first empty damn snap they ran. I was, I was doing the in-game live watch with E. He gets sacked. He was like, oh, they're running empty right there. I know you're going to be excited. I was like, ooh, they're running empty. It's going to be exciting. And he gets sacked. And he does that because he holds on to the ball a little bit too long. And even pre-snap, I don't think he identifies the matchup that he wants to go to. Truth is, A.D. Mitchell was probably the matchup on that sack. He took an empty. That was the matchup he probably should have went. Now, Braylon Trice did just beat the brakes off of Christian Jones on that play. But the ball was supposed to come out really quickly. And if he was anticipating that, there's a chance that he could have bought himself a little bit more time and found A.D. Mitchell on the quick out because he was open on the quick out. And there's somebody that's going to be open all the time by the empty formation. So what I went back and in, in, uh, documented was empty formation for Texas in this game and the last game. This game, you had 80% completion percentage out of empty formation, 92 total yards, three explosive plays. As a matter of fact, uh, one of the plays, you go look at the Jay Witt play. The Jay Witt play, the great catch at the end of the game, empty formation. <laughs> and Jay Witt ends up with a favorable matchup. So in the last two games versus Washington, which it sh- maybe it was game plan specific, maybe it was matchup specific against Washington and not necessarily about Quinn's skill set because it worked last season in Alamo Bowl versus Washington, and Quinn wasn't necessarily great out of empty formation then. Um, and then this season, even though I think you should have run it more, empty formation worked even though my numbers track that's that – Quinn hasn't been great out of empty formation for all the reasons I just listed. So in the last two years, you go look at it, you got Quinn now uh, upwards of 80% completion percentage out of empty formation in the last two years, 11 over 11 yards per attempt out of empty formation versus Washington in the last two years, five explosive plays. So you're at a 30% explosive play rate, meaning 30% of the empty formation plays that you've run versus Washington the last two years have resulted in explosive plays, runs, and or passes. See, sometimes Sark is too much of a moderate when he needs to be an extremist. Same thing about the pony package. He was moderate thinking, I'm going to sprinkle it in, nine, ten plays here, and that's all I'll need. No, when you find that it's working, become an extremist. Run it till they stop it. Run it and ram it down their throat until they stop that concept or they allocate resources to do it or they they overcommit themselves to do it, leaving themselves vulnerable elsewhere. And that way you can anticipate what their adjustment is going to be. And then you can better win the chat, the better the, the chess match within the game. Right. And he's not doing that. He's not winning that battle of adjustment. At least he didn't in this matchup. And just like in the last Washington game. Those, there are certain concepts. He didn't even use a two-tailback set versus Washington in the Alamo Bowl. At least he used it this season uh, in the semifinal, and it was great, actually. You had one of your best offensive drives of the game running that pony package. You should have ran more of it, though, because you're too moderate offensively. I need you to become an extremist at times with your offensive philosophy, and I don't think he is. I think he's uh, overly concerned with balance and overly concerned with 
you know, sometimes sprinkling in enough variety. When you find something that works, just run it into the ground. And Sark never does it. That's why he doesn't he doesn't play the hits because he likes everything to be fresh. To hell with fresh. All right, let's get effective. To hell with fresh. Rod Babers behind the burnt orange curtain. Longhorns fall 37 to 31 was your final score. Somebody on the text line as you were talking, Rod, said uh, first progression quarterback, kind of like on the weird throw to Jaden Blue uh, from the 11 or 12-yard line. Look, uh, I'll just say this. I didn't hate that play. I know a lot of – I saw it on social media. A lot of Longhorn fans were not happy with that. The Jaden Blue play on first down really was a smart play because J.T. Sanders, you just heard Sark say it in the press conference, was double teamed. That was the primary read. And if you're a one, maybe two progression quarterback, which Quinn Ewers is right now, Rod, that was not a bad throw because you can't take a sack there and you can't you know, let the ball get tackled inbounds. So the little swing pass over to Jaden Blue allowed him to you know, dance out of bounds and gain a yard, uh, but you stopped the clock, which was the most important thing at that point with 10 seconds to play. Uh, the next couple of plays were the ones where you can kind of get frustrated. And this is what you just said. I agree with uh, everything you said, but, but most about is Quinn Ewers is coming back to school to learn to be a second and third progression quarterback. Uh, but at the end of the day, Rod, on a frustrating night at the Sugar Bowl and at the, uh, the, the Superdome, the play on fourth down, if Quinn Ewers just throws it to the pylon, right, just throws it to the front pylon, a little more of a bullet throw, not the fade, it's probably a touchdown because uh, A.D. Mitchell had man coverage, he had inside leverage, and I mean, if you throw it to the pylon, he's going to be able to keep his feet in bounds and get a touchdown. That's the frustrating part, that even on the one read, if he makes a better throw there, the Longhorns might win this game and might be playing for a national championship next Monday night. Yep, it's a good point. The back shoulder fade uh, was definitely a better option on that play. Yeah. Oh, yeah, front pylon. I mean, he's mm-hmm. he got the guy behind him. He's got to come through him or and interfere with him. Uh, but, again, it was he had pressure in his face a little bit. Those are the things that Quinn Ewers has to clean up and get better at, okay. big picture. Uh, Michael Penix has already done that. And Michael Penix made very few mistakes last night. And uh, uh, his team is going to play for that national championship at 14-0. Good stuff right there, Rod. We'll come back. We'll go off the record a little bit. Some stories maybe you've missed that you need to know from around the sports world. Uh, been a busy weekend, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, bowl games. We'll get you some off the record. Conversation coming next here on Hook 'em Up with Ian Rod B. The Hook 'em Up with Ian Rod B Playoff Recap Show on the Horn is presented by Hayes City Store and the Taste on Main. DD Mega Doo I'm sorry, Mangudu. Once it's turned on, the sign will spell out Delhi Cat Essen. Well, well, I don't get a break my head cold. Well, congratulations. Continue good sex in, the, good sex in the Big East. Thank you, Jimmy. And boom goes the dynamite. It's time for another edition of Off the Record. Do it live. I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live. And thing sucks. All right, still talking Longhorns and Huskies from the Sugar Bowl. I'm live in New Orleans. Thanks again to Hay City Store and Taste on Main in Buda. Our travel partners, Travis and Tamara Tyndall, helping us uh, get here and get back. And it's been a fun trip. Unfortunately, the Longhorn season ends. Um, frustrating night for the Longhorns. But, uh, Rod, uh, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, we were doing the in-game watch last night. But there was 
You know, one of the things you'll see when you're in New Orleans and down on Bourbon Street especially is, is you know, women's breasts. That doesn't, that's not an uncommon occurrence, right, when you're in New that's Orleans? Nothing wrong with it. Without any, no beads, just breasts hanging out, you know, no exchange of beads. I, for... I, didn't, I didn't see any, but I did, uh, I did watch ESPN last night, and they, they, if you, did you miss the lady getting her boobs oh. exposed on national television last night? Did she flash the camera or did the camera roll up on her while she was flashing somebody she, else? No, she flashed the camera. Oh. Uh, there was one, it was one of these over-the-top kind of drone cameras or at least a wire camera that was kind of hovering. I think it was a drone that was c- coming over Bourbon Street. Mm. And the lady um, did a nice job of kind of she understanding nice what was coming. <laughs> <laughs> well, she did. And she, she, anticipated, she was anticipating like Michael Penix. <laughs> yeah, she did. And she, she, as she, this camera got near her, mm. you know, she, she pulled down her little tube top. And she just, whoop, you know, flashed wow. them out. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, and I don't think ESPN saw it. They ran it. They aired it, man. It was, it was in, in now, full, full bore. Now, are breasts considered in, indecent? Be- I think so. Are they really? Because you can maybe, whip maybe, out. Maybe I mean, your... in mo- in a lot of cities, breasts can be out, and it is not necessarily against the law. No, no, you can you can have the breast out on at the place on TV, but then they're also if it's ESPN and it's cable and it's eleven thirty at night, the rules are different yep. now yes. than they used to be. Yeah, that you can get away with it. They normally though a Disney owned company shies yeah. away from that. Be, that would be frowned upon at the Disney headquarters. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I guess um, yeah, that's a good point about the Disney headquarters thing. But there you go. Good she's for not, her. A, not a Disney princess. Now she's going she's gonna to be a gift, right? She's going she's gonna to be like forever. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. she's going to become a forever like memorialized. She'll have a, a gift of her. Is, that, is, yeah. that, is this how you start an OnlyFans career? Uh, she might already have an OnlyFans account. That, yeah. I mean, it's, let's be honest. If you're willing to flash a camera like that, you're probably already you're probably already on your way. It's like it's like the drug dealers we used to hear about. First one's free. First, one, <laughs> First one's free. Got to subscribe for the rest. That's how they get you. That's how they get you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I did. I saw that, but I actually I saw I saw people talking about it, but I didn't see the video. Now I got to go back and for research purposes, research I'll purpose. go back and find that video. It's like oh, Janet Jackson what? research. Yes, research man. <laughs> So, so now I'm looking at it again, and yeah, it wasn't with drone camera. It was a guy carrying a camera, but the lady was acting like she didn't even see the camera when she did this. See, and exactly. She didn't. And maybe she didn't see the camera, and she was just flashing, trying to get some beads. <laughs> All right, so I'm, I'm rewatching this. I saw it last night, but now I'm rewatching this. Now I gotta find it. She, she didn't. Just, just go to X and and search for ESPN Flash. And you'll find it. ESPN okay. Flash. You'll see it. Uh, lady. I, she, in hindsight now, I, I correct the record. She didn't even see the camera, I don't think. See? She was trying to get her some beads. And it was just perfect timing it, for this dog all play out. So is, nice job. Lady. Is this a younger woman or an older woman? And are we talking about, like, uh, working breasts? Like, are these breasts, like, uh, have they no, been through I some stuff? This was just a, I think this was just someone having a good old time. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> It's no. a short clip. I mean, you got to really watch to see it. I mean, right. it, it uh, and she because she's not really paying. Okay, there it is. It's just one. She got to get get a get a right see right breast nipple. I think is what we got on this deal. See, that's why I said I think that she she was having a good time, and then the camera caught her having a good time. You're right. Instead of her right just flashing that. the camera. Yeah. yeah, you're right about that. Hundred percent wardrobe malfunction. Oh yeah, wardrobe malfunction. Oh yeah. I say that. I just saw it too. Oh yeah, she was definitely trying to get some beads. She's looking up. Her eye, her eye, her her her, her eye line is up. She's looking up.
I guess so, when I first saw it, I thought she she saw the camera and she was acting like she didn't see it, so she could sneak it sneak attack. But yeah. no, and she she was trying to get some beats, uh, which is fine to do on. Yeah, but still, uh, ESPN. I'm gonna need y'all to edit that though. I mean, it, it is a, it is uh, it's clearly uh, a breast. It's clearly yeah, out there yeah, 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 with yeah, the yeah. nipples showing I think, everything. Yeah. I think their producers missed it too. So nice job. Hey man, hey, remember, uh, remember Janet Jackson just showing a nipple what it did to our our psyche at that yeah. time? To, oh, what twenty we'll something years ago? It, it would. I, <laughs> it I would will devastate say, it. My my guess is the the ESPN <laughs> coverage past midnight. Not quite the same viewership ratings as the Super Bowl halftime show. <laughs> Might be a little lower. That's what it is. Yes, many FCC complaints for that one. Yeah, right? no one's. Yeah, yeah. The people watching that don't care about the FCC. <laughs> yeah, probably right. Uh, all right, guys. Uh, one other thing, and I want you off the record, Rod, but I, I, I know we'll have time to talk about it later in the week as we get back into a normal routine. But what did you make of the Cowboys play, the, uh, the Detroit play with the um, who reported and who didn't eligible the other night in the, uh, the Saturday night game? Obviously, it's a critical loss. Detroit scores a touchdown, go for two. They get it with the, the, the two-point conversion to the offensive lineman, Taylor Decker. He says he, he uh, checked in. He says he checked in as eligible. The official says, no, he did not. And it ends up being a Cowboys victory. What was your take on that whole Dan Quinn, excuse me, Dan Campbell situation and the Cowboys win? Remember, the Cowboys had a play like this early this year. Yeah, they did. Yeah, right. They had a play like that early this year where it was a miscommunication about whether the guy checked in as eligible or not. Um, I, I think, first of all, I think the Detroit Lions were trying to be sneaky. And I think they were trying their best uh, to try to be a little secretive. And, and why wouldn't you? Even though the official has to announce it to the opposing team. And they even announce it in the damn stadium sometimes, too. Um, so yep. you can only be, you know, obviously you can, you can only be so sneaky with it. But when they, put, when they sent three linemen over to the official... Um, and then they were trying to get, I think, two of those linemen essentially to declare as eligible receivers or whatever it was. I think they were doing it to confuse the Dallas Cowboys um, about who was going to be eligible and who wasn't. And I think that blew up in their face because I think they, they, it was so good they confused the refs and they confused everybody involved. Yeah. When they sent yeah. three, three old linemen over there instead of just sending one and one guy going, hey, I'm eligible, it's me, they sent three. And then on top of that, I forget the name of the left tackle um, he, 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 he was trying to be really subtle about it, almost in a sneaky way, like, hey, man, it's me, not trying to point at himself and not yeah. trying to be too obvious. That also hurt him. He should have just went up to the ref and got in the ref's face and literally talked to him and said, hey, man, it's me. So if the ref just didn't acknowledge him and didn't see him, I could understand that, even though it's hard considering you had three old linemen in your face that he didn't see uh, one of those guys. But I think it's also on the Detroit Lions, man. They tried to be covert with it, and it blew up in their face. Yeah, and they also said that 70 reported eligible many times throughout the game, yes. which I think was part of it, too. Was like, well, we're just going to keep having the same guy eligible. And so in your brain, 70's eligible. 70's eligible, and they say 68's eligible, and they move. But they, the refs did that then. They did. They they tricked the wrong guys. They did. They tricked the, you're right. It was so good. They tricked the refs. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a critical play because obviously with the Eagles collapse and uh, loss to the Arizona Cardinals on Sunday, Cowboys are now in, in a with a chance to win the division and be the two seed in the NFC. Uh, obviously, the Lions needed that victory to stay even with the 49ers. 49ers have now locked up the one seed. And Christian McCaffrey, he's got a calf injury now, but he's going to be able to sit this weekend and have the week off, and he should be fine come playoff time for the San Francisco 49ers. So a lot of NFL to get to as we move forward this week. Uh, we'll get to all of it. Did you have an off-the-record, Rodby? Uh, no, we don't have anything special because I know we're up against it, so we can just uh, get to the break. 
All right. I wanted to get your thoughts on that. We will have all week to start previewing. Week 18 in the NFL. Cowboys still a chance to win the NFC East. Niners are the one seed. And how about the Baltimore Ravens, what they did to the Miami Dolphins on Sunday, absolutely hammering them. They have uh, announced themselves as the favorites in a big way in the AFC with back-to-back wins over the Niners and the Dolphins both by double digits. That's pretty darn impressive, uh, to say the least. We'll come back. When we do, we'll pick up the Texas-Washington conversation for you folks just waking up. Uh, that game ended late into the, into the early morning hours. Let's talk about it all the way to 11 o'clock. It's Hook'em Up with Ian Rodby. Patrick Davis joining us this morning. It's a special edition. It is the postmortem, the recap, Texas and Washington in the CFP semifinal.